Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does, they charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Beyond Surviving, the safe space for survivors of childhood sexual abuse to receive support, resources, and share their stories. Beyond Surviving is about freedom, healing, connection, and even laughter and fun. Most importantly, it's about letting go of the pain of abuse and finally moving on. I'm Rachel Grant. For those of you who don't yet know me, I've been a sexual abuse recovery coach since 2007 and am the author of Beyond Surviving, The Final Stage of Recovery from Sexual Abuse. I work with survivors who are sick and tired of feeling broken and unfixable, and I help them let go of the pain of abuse and move on with their lives. You can learn more about me and the Beyond Surviving program at www.rachelgrantcoaching.com. In this month's episode, I'm talking with Susan Jacoby about the amazing world of memory and really exploring this question of do we need to remember everything in order to heal? Enjoy. Rachel Rachel and I will be talking about shadow memories or also known as repressed memories. She will be explaining the difference between the shadow memories and the repressed memories why we have these memories, and why survivors are so determined to recover their memories. Thank you, Rachel, for joining us. How are you today? Hi, Susan. I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. You're very, very welcome. So what? Uh, why do you use the term shadow or gray memories as opposed to uh, commonly known repressed memories? 
Right. Well, so this is a somewhat controversial topic. And um, just a quick uh, look at the history. We know that this idea of repressed memories dates all the way back to Freud. And prior to that, there was no um, such idea as a repressed memory. And it was really in his work with one particular client, a very small um, population set, where he um, first kind of formulated this idea that experiences could be locked away in the mind and then manifested in other ways. In this particular uh, patient that he was working with, it was uh, rigidity in the right side of her body, the inability to kind of move her arm. And, you know, through his work, he, you know, supposedly unlocked some of these memories and brought back some mobility, but really only minor mobility. And so, you know, this idea has been, you know, tossed around and talked about quite a lot in the world of um, psychology and um, particularly when it comes to dealing with trauma and childhood sexual abuse. And uh, so as I've done my work and, and, and thought more and more about what's going on for folks and also studying uh, neuroscience, I've come to think of these memories more as being shadow memories or gray memories as opposed to repressed. It's more like um, there are just gaps or uh, an incomplete uh, storyline, so to speak, as opposed to there being something kind of locked and tucked away um, that uh, needs to be unlocked and opened up and broken into, so to speak. That is, um, I, I like the term shadow memories because it does kind of, it, it softens it, kind of makes it, um, mm-hmm. I mean, repressed memories is so uh, so psychologically defined, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, so the so shadow memories is kind of, it's softer for the individual experiencing them. Why Why mm-hmm. do we have the shadow memories? Well, the brain is set up to basically um, create connections uh, as we're having experiences. And and as we go through an experience that might be traumatic or stressful or be putting us on kind of high alert, what's happening in the brain is that the amygdala is flooding the system with all sorts of chemicals and information. And so uh, just in some ways, the brain can only capture and hold so much detail at one time, right? And so... If the priority for the brain in that moment is to flood the system with, say, cortisol in order to kind of ramp your, up your bodily responses so that you can protect yourself, uh, then other things are going to get dropped along the way. Details, um, specifics, those neuronal connections that would normally pick up and hold um, other information are just not forming uh, because of the brain is being occupied um, by other information. Not to mention that the brain just in general um, doesn't necessarily try to capture every single detail in every single experience that we have, right? And so it's more looking for the signs and cues so that it can build a map that we can reference back to. And so if you take, for example, one of the exercises I do with my clients to kind of illustrate this is that if you even go back to one of your most happiest, most wonderful days, right, 
and you and you think about that day and you start with, you know, some generic questions like, okay, well, where was I? You can probably fill in that, you know, big picture question. All right, I was, you know, graduating from high school, for instance. Okay, great. You're, where were you? Well, I was on the lawn of our, you know, football field. All right, you know, who was the, the principal? Okay, I remember him. I don't really remember his name, but he looked like this. And you have some details there. But if you keep going and asking questions uh, along the line, eventually you're going to hit a gap, right? Okay, well, what color was the the dress that you were wearing or who are you sitting next to in in the line, right? I can't remember that at all. I don't know about you, but I can't. I was like, I don't know me neither. Me or who was behind me, right? <laughs> exactly. And so what what's interesting to me is that we would never, because we can't remember who stood in front of us and who stood behind us, go and say that that memory was now somehow false, fake, made up, just because there were those missing pieces. But for whatever reason, we tend to do that with these traumatic experiences. We start to doubt, well, if I can't figure out exactly where I was and who it was and what was happening, then maybe it wasn't even true. Maybe it didn't even happen. And so what we need to understand is that even in our happiest of experiences, the brain only has the capacity to hold you know, so much, it, it holds the most important resonant details and it drops away everything else. I can understand, you know, what you're saying. It, I mean, it, it's, um, it's a lot easier to drop away things that cause pain. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know that your brain is like constantly um, trying to protect you. I mean, would you say that's true? I wouldn't call it protection. I would say it's it's a response system. The brain has a response mm-hmm. system, and so it's prioritizing. Um, and so if knowing who's in front of me and knowing who's behind me is not the most important piece of information that I need to have in that moment, it's gonna the brain is going to basically drop that away and, and focus in on the material and information that is more powerful, more resonant, um, more meaningful or more connected in a lot of ways to prior experience as well. It's going to tap into, do I already know how this feels? Um, so like when you go through um, school and you have like your little mini graduation at elementary school, right? And then in middle school you have another little celebration. Your brain is basically starting to notice this pattern of like this these types of events in your life. And so it, it has the um, road already kind of built. So then by the time you get to the high school graduation and college graduation, it's just kind of dropping in that same information. And it's also getting better and better about figuring out what pieces of that experience you most want to hold on to. It's like the exhilaration, the feeling, the emotion of it, um, along with maybe who's most important to you in that experience. And so with abuse, um, especially initial abuse, your brain doesn't have any reference for, you know, the the material, so to speak, that's happening, that's being um, uh, delivered. And so it's looking for what in this instance is the most important thing for me to remember and notice because that is the thing that I have to reference back to later in order to prioritize what my action should be in order to cope and respond and um, behave in a certain way. So that, well, why do you think survivors are they sometimes feel so adamant about recovering the memories that um, are the shadow or, or lost memories. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and so this is definitely something that comes up in my work quite often. I do work with clients who have kind of these gaps in their in their story and in their experience. And when we first start working, there can be this real need, like, okay, well, as soon as I remember, like, all the details, then I can start my work, right? And so, first of all, I just reassure them that you actually don't need to, to do that. But part of the reason why... I think we get driven to that is a couple of things. First, again, like I was saying, there's this idea that if I remember every little piece, it somehow validates the truth of my experience. That if there are gaps, if there are these missing moments, then there's this question mark that comes up about, well, is it really even true? Maybe I'm just making this up, right? And so there's this sense that filling in those gaps makes it more valid. The other piece is that we want to understand why abuse happens. You know, we want to explain it. We want to figure that out. And we can fall into the trap of thinking that if we um, understand all of the things that happen, uh, that's like the key to understanding lies in these gaps, right? It'll somehow, sh- like it'll be the aha moment. It'll shed the light on everything as to why the abuser abused me. Right, if I can just fill in that piece. And then there's that piece of thinking, well, maybe I can't even get better. If I don't know the whole story, if I don't have all of the information, how can I really heal? So those are kind of the three main reasons and kind of traps that people fall into when it comes to this um, area of uh, kind of recovering memories that can really impede or kind of stop their progress in their journey of recovery. You know, as you you were talking, I was thinking um as far as like figuring it out, I have spent years like I'm sure many other survivors have, you know, trying to figure it out, trying to make sense of it. And one thing that I use to convince myself that I have figured it out is the old well it must have been my fault. Because if it was my mm-hmm. fault, then um, then then I did X, so therefore I get Y. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just it's a um, it's just another way I think that we can protect ourselves from from re- realizing the truth. Yeah, yeah, it's very much so. You know, the problem of abuse isn't even so much the experience of abuse, which is terrible and traumatic and painful. It's the everything that comes after the moment of abuse. Every false belief that we have, every time, every explanation that we come up with to try to explain why the abuse happened leads us down these rabbit trails because the only, like the bottom line, um, truth of the matter is, is that the only reason why the abuse occurred is because that's what the abuser chose to do, was to be abusive. And it takes work, you know, to get to that level of understanding. And, you know, of course, that's something that I, I do with my clients. But even for people just listening, um, just to even plant that seed, that all the efforts, all the work, all the straining and struggling to try to figure out, like, the why of it all, um, it really always just comes down to because it was the abuser's choice. That's like the beginning and the middle of it. Right. And and everything you're saying is, you know, it doesn't really matter if it was one incident or 
right. once a day. You, you know, right. it's still, the impact is still the same. Because like you said, it's not about the actual event, although it certainly feels like it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. But, you know, the 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 aftermath of it and trying to, not trying, but working on unraveling it so you can reclaim your life. Yeah, exactly. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think, you know, the way I think about recovery is that it's really about kind of stripping away all the lies that were put on you as a result of abuse or that you kind of came up with. You know, the it's my fault belief is there as an explanation of why the abuse occurred. I must have done something. I did something to make this happen. Therefore, that's why. And then it usually goes to a deeper level of because I am bad, because I am unworthy, because I am unlovable, I must have done something to make this happen. And that just kind of puts this layer on our lives. And the work of recovery is about basically going in and identifying, first of all, looking for and identifying each of those beliefs, each of those explanations, learning how to challenge them, and on a neurological level, teaching the brain how to actually let that belief go, that wiring, like breaking down that wiring. And then once you strip that away, you're then able to step into like new possibilities and really come into being yourself and who you were really supposed to be um, before that layer of abuse, so to speak, was kind of put on you. Right, right. And those, you know, those thoughts of like, um, I'm, I'm bad, I'm unworthy, th- those are, you know, those are all shame. That's all shame. And, mm-hmm. and, that shame is very um it's very hard to remove it from your you know your uh it's like you're like a sponge I and mean, that's how I feel like you know I'm a sponge of, of shame and I'm picking up um like if the abuser is if we both have our sponges you know of shame yeah you know like the, the abuser's shame sponge is interacting with mine and it's hard to separate mine and theirs. And then you go through right. life and um, and you pick up more shame. And it, and like you said, you know, it just becomes this massive unraveling of mm-hmm. what is what. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, you know, shame is so much about taking responsibility for things that aren't ours, that aren't really things that we are the cause of. And so mm-hmm. it is. It's like a sucking up of like people, people, other people's choices, other people's energy, other people's problems, and like taking it all on as if it's ours and we're the cause of it and we're at the source of it. Right. It's um, it's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. I mean, I, you know, I, mean no I found it to be exhausting, and and it's green when you realize the truth. Right. It opens up a lot of energy for you. So let's move on to: um, Do you do you feel like we need to recover the memories in order to move on, in order to reclaim our lives? So now here's the good news: Absolutely not. It's not necessary uh, because any 
any experience that we're having in um, our lives, you know, the way that we can access these false beliefs can be to go back to an originating incident, like the very first moment that something happened that kind of gave birth to a particular belief, a particular attitude, a particular fear. But we don't actually have to get all the way back to that source experience in order to recognize and uncover the beliefs and attitudes that are running the show, so to speak. I can work with my clients and just look at what kinds of choices they're making in their present day. Then that tells me, like, what beliefs are sitting there. And the important thing isn't to recover the memory in order to know what memory caused the problem. It's just address the problem. Yeah, so we can know that there's a belief about it's my fault without ever getting to the experience that first led to that belief. So that's amazing news, right, because it takes a lot of pressure off, number one, um, and creates a sense of relief, and you can get moving on your journey and start healing and recovering and not spend, you know, years in therapy and all this time trying to unlock or uncover um, or unblock these so-called, you know, repressed memories. What do you say to your clients when they do have a memory and um, and you're not around? <laughs> you know, like how, um, you know, how do you, what do you say to them to give them um, tips, if you will, on how to process that memory Mm-hmm. Well, you know, my program Beyond Surviving, that's, you know, uh, that's what we basically do in the whole eight months is is give a, basically um, a toolkit of a variety of different ways to handle false beliefs and false and, and memories and when you feel triggered and when things are coming up so that you have, you know, a, a different way to handle the situation. Sometimes one technique works in that situation. Another time, another technique will work. But the underlying philosophy and the the general principle is um, connected to understanding how the brain is impacted by trauma. Whenever we have an experience, we come to create a neuronal connection in the brain. It just happens automatically. And so that neuronal connection triggers certain beliefs, triggers certain emotions. And so the job really uh, is to learn how to intercept that signaling and how to break it down into shorter and shorter until it either, um, as soon as it triggers off, you, you recognize it and are able to get off that road, so to speak, quicker, or uh, it just doesn't you know, happen at all for you. And so some intercepting techniques, uh, you know, can be things like even just simply shifting your focus away. This is kind of the easiest, um, you know, quickest Band-Aid solution, <laughs> I would say, if, uh, you know, mm-hmm. given the little bit of time that we have here, um, is just as soon as a memory or a thought kind of comes on or turns on, to just simply shift your focus to something in your immediate present moment that you can latch on to or ask yourself a very um, uh, straightforward question, like what did I have for breakfast? What color is this wall? Uh, who's sitting at this table with me? You know, um, what color jeans do I have on? Those kinds of questions. Because what it's doing is it's causing the brain to shift gears and stop going on that same old path that leads to the same old outcomes, and it helps you kind of get off or intercept. It's kind of like putting a um, an exit ramp on that 
um, neuronal pathway so that you can get off of that road. Um, so, you know, certainly there's, you know, more to do than that, but that's one of the techniques that I use with my clients. Thank you for tuning in and joining us today. Don't forget to visit www.rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching and to explore the other resources available on the site. And please be sure to subscribe to this podcast. We have so much more to share and welcome you back. To Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us today. Don't forget to visit www.rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching and to explore the other resources available on the site. And please be sure to subscribe to this podcast. We have so much more to share and welcome you back. Take good care. Until next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.